In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet Following the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption And the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality Coming to you from the Great White North And his studio beneath the stairs Here's Richard and welcome once again to another edition of Strange Planet. Thanks, as always, for sticking me in your ear. And uh, if you want to get deeper into Strange Planet, you might want to think about becoming a premium subscriber. There are three tiers, monthly tiers, that you can choose from. Just go to strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm for more information. strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm On this episode, we're going to discuss how Western mainstream astrology doesn't use the visible sky and we're going to find out what that means we're going to talk about the hidden flaws in mainstream astrology and the significance of using the visible sky in astrology which i always assumed was 
the method using the visible sky. But uh, we're going to explore something called sidereal astrology. Athan Cementi is an astrologer, educator, leading expert in the field of true sidereal astrology. He's dedicated to spreading the word about true sidereal and how powerful it is at bringing clarity and direction to people's lives. Athan has helped more than 5,000 people around the world gain clarity through his astrology readings. He's taught more than 100 astrologies uh, to become professionals in the, or uh, astrologers rather, uh, to become professionals in the field and thousands more through his uh, video course. Athan Gementi, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? Hey, Richard. Very good. Thanks again for having me on. It's great to be here. My pleasure. So I'm going to get you to define some some terms. First of all, when we think of mainstream astrology, this is, I guess, what we inherited from uh, the Babylonians around 500 uh, BC. Is that a fair assessment? That's what mainstream astrology is based on? Yeah, that is a fair assessment. Uh, the only difference is, is that the sky has changed since then. And so with Western mainstream, they're still using that system. Um, but, um, yeah, now the sky is different. And so the signs are about a full sign different, right? So, so someone who might think they're a Leo is actually a cancer and, and so forth. Right. So when you say the sky is different, we're talking about, is this the, the precession of the equinox so that, um, well, how does that work exactly? When you say the sky is different, how does, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's precession. So according to uh, modern scientists, the Earth is doing a sort of wobble like a top. Yes. And this wobble is extremely slow. So it's about 26,000 years to do one full wobble. Um, but that's essentially going through the entire zodiac or doing one 360 degree turn every 26,000 years. So what that means is, is that the sun basically doesn't return to the same point in the sky every year. So... Uh, with Western and, you know, mainstream, you know how they have the sun sign dates. And it's like, if you're born on such and such date, then you're a Leo or whatever the sign is, and it stays consistent. So rewind 2000 years ago, and that is where everything was, okay, uh, the way they say it is now with the season. So right at the spring equinox, it was the beginning of Aries, same exact way it is now. The only problem is, is that because of precession, that change although being very subtle, but we're talking 2000 years. So it changes by about one degree every 72 years. And so where we're at now is about a 24 degree difference. But in astrological terms, this is almost a full sign. And if you're using the actual size of the constellations, we're actually talking about two signs sometimes. So there can be quite a difference now. Right. So the 12 astrological signs are divided equally like 30 degrees, although that's not entirely accurate, right? Because some constellations are bigger. They might be uh, 45 degrees. Some are smaller than 30, 30 degrees. They might be, you know, 20 degrees. Uh, so, um, I mean, didn't, didn't the Babylonians sort of set this system up for failure, I, um, for lack of a better term, uh, by oversimplifying it? Uh, well, see, here's here's the catch, is that the Babylonians, their intention wasn't to use this simplified zodiac for astrology. Their intention was to use it for calendars and clocks. So if you're dealing with a calendar with like, you know, 30 days a month or whatever it is, and you're dealing with a clock, it needs to be even degrees. The problem is, is that for astrology, much like astronomy, we're more, we should be more concerned with every, where everything actually is 
versus this simplified system, which does work better for calendars and clocks, but not necessarily for seeing exactly where the planets are. Right. So they were more interested in, in the seasons, uh, obviously for agriculture, for, I don't know, maybe things like travel, because you want to travel not in the rainy season, you want to travel when it's dry and the, the roads are navigable and, and, uh, and so forth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, just so I understand, when most people, you know, they open up the newspaper to the astrology page and they're getting a very basic um, astrological reading there based on their, their sign. That's a sun sign, meaning, so I'm a Capricorn. That means when the sun is in the constellation Capricorn, that's when it's supposed to have this effect, correct? Right. So it's suggesting that everyone born during that time is going to have certain qualities of that time period. And so they're essentially, with mainstream, they're using the seasons and um in a sense it still is accurate if you believe that if you're born during a certain time of the season you're going to exhibit certain qualities okay but it isn't where the sun actually was when you were born so what's your birthday january 12 january 12. okay so the sun was actually in the constellation of sagittarius when you were born <laughs> which makes a lot of sense for someone with a podcast and what i know a little about you so does that mean I'm not a Capricorn? Based on the sidereal system of astrology, I'm not a Capricorn, I'm a Sagittarius? That's correct. The sun was actually in the constellation of Sagittarius when you were born. Wow. Um, so how, I mean, what percentage of, let's just take people in the West, uh, North America, do you have any data like what percentage of people that subscribe to astrology are following the mainstream astrology versus sidereal right so here's where it depends on if we're talking about the west or the east hmm. because to give credit where credit's due the, the in india they are still practicing a form of sidereal so they're using still the even 30 degrees sidereal like we were saying that you know we can simplify them by making them 30 degrees so they're not using well not with the main signs they're not using the actual size but it still matches up much closer than in the west so there's different layers right so we have western tropical that's in the west i would say that's probably at least i mean in terms of people like if you consider horoscopes and stuff probably 98 percent. okay that's in the west but then in the east like in india they're primarily practicing their form of sidereal. So it depends on, of course, where you are in the world, but in the West, yeah, it's it's a ridiculous number, something like 98%. And like you said, most of us in the West think that that's where the sun was when we were born. We just assume that, obviously, because it's our sun sign, right? But most people don't know. And that statistics, you know, really high up there too, I would say probably like close to that 90 something still, most assume that it's where you know, the sun was when they were born or any of the other planets for that matter. And and yet, um, for those people who subscribe to uh, Western tropical or mainstream astrology, they would say, well, it works, it matches. Um, you know, my attributes um, match what a Capricorn is and therefore it must be true. So what's at play there? Is that just um, like mass consciousness that's, that's 
influencing it rather than the stars? Yeah, we could say that. I mean, there's a lot of theories. Um, but uh, like I said, like I still find it accurate because it's still a seasonal system. So it's under the idea that if, you know, because it matches perfectly with the seasons, that's where they've pegged it. Spring equinox is the beginning of the zodiac in the Western tropical. So if you believe that, you know, there's synchronicities and that, you know, that the stars isn't the only one and that there's also maybe a seasonal uh, type of cycle, then yeah, we're going to still exhibit those tropical Western uh, signs. Having said that, though, what I find in my work is that the true sidereal forms a much more accurate and much more, in my opinion, fundamental description of the person, whereas the tropical Western is a sort of derivative. Because you have to consider that the actual placements, this is what we were doing for you know tens of thousands of years, was using the actual placements. But we can always in astrology create derivative charts, charts of charts, and it can still be accurate. But it's important, I think, to, to use the fundamental first, get a clear idea of what that is. And then if you're going to create a chart from that, like a seasonal chart, then you're looking at a certain facet of the person, not so much the fundamental, but a certain, you know, kind of from a certain lens, in this case, the more seasonal lens, which might describe, you know, a more physical you or th 3D you. Uh, if you believe in the wheels of karma, it's like, you know, there's a sort of fixed cycle um, with the seasons. It could be more of that physical us in that sense. Um, what about the the planets uh, and their influence on our our signs? So, for example, an astrologer might go above and beyond, or a little more in depth than just the sun sign, and say, "Well, Saturn is here, and Mars is ascending, and so forth." Uh, is is that part of mainstream astrology, and and is um, is that also then inaccurate because it's not using the visible sky? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, yes, they do use it, um, but obviously not in pop astrology. So I would say here the separation is between those practicing Western who are obviously astrologers trained in the same way that I am, um, who are using, of course, the entire chart. So the moon sign, the other planetary signs and so forth. Um Having said that, though, if you consider those that are, you know, using astrology, usually more for entertainment and that kind of thing, that makes up like the largest population in terms of astrology users. And in that case, it, it is primarily the sun sign. Uh, but that brings up a good point that since we're dealing with a seasonal system, what I've personally found is that it is more accurate for the sun sign than the others, because the sun is part of the seasons. Whereas once you get to the moon sign or some of those other planetary signs, in from my perspective, it starts to take away a lot from that sort of um, you know description or let's say accuracy uh, of that of that system. So I think the sun sign in mainstream Western is really accurate. Again, still a perspective or derivative chart, but um, being dealing with the seasons, I think that explains why so many are involved with the sun sign because of its more accuracy i think than the other planets so what are some of the other limitations of using mainstream uh as astrology in terms of its impact not only on individuals but let's say society right well um so you know it depends on how you use astrology so i like to use astrology for personal development not so much to predict things uh, in the east like in india they're gonna definitely use it for much more like predictive practices so 
I like to give power to the individual. And I think as long as, you know, we're not trying to encapsulate people into certain boxes, um, then it's it's fine. Because the truth is, is that we're the entire Zodiac or, you know, we exhibit all these different qualities and there's no one way to be a Sagittarius or a Capricorn or anything like this. So each of these signs, although they, in my opinion, do describe a sort of fundamental energy, there's literally an infinite number of ways of expressing that. So with that being said, it doesn't do a whole lot of harm as long as it's from that angle uh, in terms of it being about free will and um, we're not trying to encapsulate individuals. So in that sense, with pop astrology, even in entertainment, I think it's good. I think it opens people up to seeing different perspectives. Where I, where I have a big problem is once we start to encapsulate and we say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a Sagittarius. And so that way I'm like this and I'm like that. And then we really close ourselves off to uh, the other potentials. And unfortunately, yeah, that does happen in really all forms of astrology, but in the West as well. And we could say, since they're using a sort of derivative chart, it could be more limiting or more dangerous to encapsulate based on something like that. But I think that's the case for any any type of uh, label, really, no matter if it's your true sign or whatever it might be. All right, uh, Athen, we'll take a quick time out and uh, come back and discuss sidereal astrology. Back with more in a moment. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Athan Chimenti is here. The website is MasteringTheZodiac.com. MasteringTheZodiac.com. The link is in the episode description. He's an astrologer, educator, leading expert in the field of true sidereal astrology. So we've been talking a lot about mainstream astrology or Western uh, pop astrology or tropical astrology, if you wish. Uh, now we're going to contrast that with sidereal astrology. Um, so that means using the visible sky, which sounds pretty obvious. You look up, you look at you know what constellations are are visible. Uh, so let's just get into how that how that works. Yeah, exactly. So so we're doing our best to you know reflect that. Um, obviously there's a lot of subjective interpretation in terms of where do the constellations actually begin and end? Because if you do look up at the sky, you know, there's no lines and divisions between them. And then there's even questions of is like, is this star really part of this constellation or is it part of the other one? So that's where it's important, I think, especially with this system to give again, more variance and not to encapsulate things too much. So 
what I've created is what's called the midpoint system, which is basically taking the last star of one constellation and then the next star, the first star of the next constellation and drawing the midpoint in between. So basically, usually there's like a gap or an overlap between these constellations. And so the midpoint method takes the midpoint between the last and first star of that gap or of that overlap. So it's been great. Uh, we've seen a lot of accuracy with it. You do have to give it some variance. Like if you are born within like a couple days of some of these, you know, signs, or if you're, you know, especially if you know your planets in between two of these signs, then you definitely want to read it as more of a blend. Um, but yeah, it's been super accurate and it's like looking up at the sky and saying, oh yeah, there's Sagittarius and there's this planet or, or there, there's where the sun is. And so we do our best to get as exact to that astronomical uh, placement as possible. Um, what is the, uh, I guess this is kind of a foundational question and it would apply to either mainstream astrology or sidereal, but the, the theory behind, um, how these celestial bodies impact us here on earth. Uh, so for example, um, if we're looking at the visible sky and we have, which is getting increasingly difficult to do if you live in an urban area because of light pollution and so forth. And then we have people who just spend most of their time indoors staring at screens rather than like our ancestors, you know, gathering around a campfire and looking up. Um, that was their TV back then, you know, looking up at the night sky. Um, so it, given that the night sky isn't always available to us for various reasons, what, how does it impact us psychologically, emotionally? Right. So I personally don't believe that the planets are having like some sort of effect on us. Uh, like you might think in like Newtonian physics, uh, you know, Newtonian physics, the idea that it's like cause and effect, you know, um, what I think is going on with the astrology and why, you know, we, a lot of us find it so accurate is because it's just simply telling us what time it is. And much like the seasons or really any other cycle, if you believe that it's possible that the, the universe or the galaxy or again, the solar system is operating within a cycle, then all the planets are doing is just telling us what time it is. So our ancestors have looked and said, oh, when Jupiter goes in front of this particular part of the sky, such and such things happen. So I don't believe that it's Jupiter or that constellation that's having like some Newtonian effect on us, as much as it's we've just noticed these patterns. And much like a clock, we're able to tell what time it is. Now, this requires a sort of belief that, you know, everything's somewhat interconnected, um, quantum physics or whatever the belief is. But um, if you do believe that we might be part of a larger cycle and that all these pieces of the cycle are interconnected, then to me, that's what explains why astrology works, because all it is is just a timekeeping tool. That's all it is. And so the ancestors, you know, it's really the only clock we've ever had, the only real clock we've ever had. Um, so we've just noticed those patterns. Our ancestors noticed those patterns and they took notes. They told stories, myths, allegories, and um, used it to sort of live more in sync, you know, more in sync with that, with those cycles at those times. And again, I think that's the best way of using astrology anyways, not to predict things, but to live more in accordance with nature. And again, where we're at in these cycles. Um, not to predict things, although, you know, many astrologers use it to do precisely that, 
to predict things. What is the, um, I mean, is there a, a, a danger? Do you think it's folly to try and predict things using sidereal astrology or even mainstream astrology? Uh, well, you know, it depends on the belief, if you believe that we're living in a very predetermined universe where everything's already been predetermined. Um, in that case, and that is the primary belief over in India. Um, so their astrology, for example, is very predetermined and, and like very hard and fast rules about this will happen at this time when this happens. Um, but if you're you know, more inclined to believe that maybe it's a mix of both, that there is obviously predetermined elements like we can predict cycles, the seasons or whatever it is. But then within those seasons or within the weather, you know, we have a sort of free will. That's how I like to approach it. So I like to approach astrology more from like the forecasting the weather. So, you know, we can get pretty good at forecasting the weather, but what we do in the weather is really up to us. I mean, obviously certain things are more conducive at certain times. If it's raining outside, maybe that's a better time to, you know, go indoors and read a book or, or do some studying. Uh, if it's sunny, go play some sports. But you can still play those sports in the in the rain and you can still be inside when it's sunny. So it's more of like predicting the weather and it can become quite accurate in the sense of, okay, it's going to be maybe a bit rainy or a bit sunny. But again, what we do during that time is really the free will part of it, in my opinion. And certainly we can use astrology to say, hey, if it is raining, yeah, maybe it is better for these kinds of activities. And if it is sunny, maybe it's better for these other ones. And again, that helps us live a little bit more in accordance with the nature. So I think astrology more is certainly predictive, but more in the sense of predicting the weather and more in the sense of predicting it in terms of probabilities, not absolute certainties, I think is a you know very important uh, way to approach it. Uh, if If you're moving around a little bit, people travel north, south, east, west, but if you're traveling north, south, um, you're above the equator half the year and then you're down below the equator, so the night sky, the visible sky is very different. Uh, does that mean that, I mean, if you're, and if you're following the sky very closely and so forth, does that mean that you, you have to adjust? Um, let's say I were to call you and I was, you know, I was down in Argentina or something, I'm south of the equator. And I want a and I want a, a, a reading. Um, are you basing that reading on the visible sky south of the equator, or if and you're north of the equator, or are you basing it on the the, the northern sky? No, it's it's the same for regardless of where you are. Uh, so long as you're not trying to get specific to uh, within hours, because if you're trying to get within hours, obviously then. See, what's really changing the sky the most is the rotation of the sky. So what might be like a rising, like what might be cancer rising for someone in the U.S. at that exact point in time, you know, might be a Capricorn rising halfway across the world. So, but that's only, the, the planets are going to be in the same positions, right? So the moon's going to be wherever it is for everybody. So maybe we'll see the moon at certain times of the day or night, you know, depending, um, but that, um, that's going to be in the same spot. So the only thing that changes is that rotation, which is hourly. So as long as you're not trying to get something predicted within like hours, then it's like, you know, the same for that day. It's just going to be maybe visible at certain, uh, times of that day for different people around the world. And so how do you work, uh, Athen? Do you, do you use, uh, computers, um, I mean, how do you chart out someone's astrological sign? 
Yeah. So thanks to technology, because um, and I think that's a big reason why we're just now using true sidereal, because as you can imagine, it's much more difficult to take into account procession, for example, like the, the Vedics, the, the, the Indian astrologers, they do have a, a method of doing this. But when you know you are factoring in the actual size of the constellations, you're trying to get as close to that procession as possible. You know, it, it really is difficult. So uh, thanks to technology and really the fact that now you can take a smartphone or, or a planetarium software and look up at that visible sky uh, and see exactly what it's like. In fact, that's how I you know really started my work is I started just like most other Western astrologers using the so-called, you know, placements, the, the Western tropical system. Um, and I always knew about sidereal, but it wasn't until I took my smartphone and there was supposed to be like a full moon in Gemini, and it was actually in Taurus when I saw it visibly with my eyes, that it really hit me. And I think that's something that, you know, is big within my community. I always say, you know, go and visibly check it. Don't take my word for it. Cause you know, I put the, I put the placements in an astrological chart. And so it, it is a, you know, this, this sort of, you know, man-made created thing, but I say, don't take my word for it, you know, go out and, and visibly look or use a planetarium software like Stellarium or, you know, your smartphone and go visibly see it. Um, and use that. So, I, so thankfully for technology, it's much, much easier not only to make these calculations, but really for the everyday person to have more of a connection really to that sky. Because like you said, with light pollution and just spending so much time indoors now, we've really lost that connection. And I think especially the past like 100 years, 200 years, we've really lost that connection. But thanks to technology, we can use technology to help us sync up more with nature now. And, and I think that's really happening globally is, is more of that, uh, you know, healthy way of using technology that's more in touch with nature. And I think this is a, you know, one of the ways we can certainly do that. So um, are more and more people catching on to sidereal astrology? Are, uh, are there any, are, you know, are you converting people? Are they, are they switching over? Well, I don't have to. That's the thing. It's, it's just one of these, you know, it's very objective and once people understand, like once people like like what we're, the discussions we're having now, um, once we you know have this idea that hey maybe the planets aren't in that position that we've been told, that just sparks it by itself. Um, even when I started, there was already a huge uptrend, you know, in this. There's there's obviously that that trend is continuing. And certainly, yeah, having these discussions, I have YouTube videos, but I'm not the only one. Obviously, it's word of mouth. Those that have other readings or from other astrologers or whatever figure it out and they pass it on to their friends and stuff. So, yeah, it, you can search the Google Trends and really see this uh, sidereal starting to take off more and more. Is there is there a sort of a debate? Um, I mean, does it get contested like between the devotees of mainstream uh, Western astrology and sidereal astrology? Is there like a lot of back and forth and, and so forth in terms of debate? Yeah, and it can get pretty heated uh, as well. So, so again, that back and forth has already been there between the West and the East, you know, because again, you know, in the East, they've been using their version of sidereal this whole time. Um, and then, of course, because of that, there's been a lot of Westerners who used that more even 30 degree form of sidereal. Um, but yeah, with the true sidereal, it's like we're kind of in between camps here. So the Western uh, astrologers obviously you know, don't gravitate towards it, like the real firm ones, um, you, you know, really firm in their system. And then, of course, even the Indians as well, the, the Vedic astrologers, because, um, 
you know, they, uh, they have their 30 degree system. So we're really the black sheep, I think in this, in this whole thing, but um, I think it is coming together. And, and I like to think of it as like uniting uh, the two halves, you know, and I think with the world, um, it's just becoming more united. I do firmly believe that the future of astrology will be something that combines these two systems. And yeah, I really think it's going to be the uh, true sidereal, but we're talking hundreds of years, obviously beyond my lifetime. But I think that's where things are headed. Athan Gementi, astrologer, educator, expert in the field of true sidereal astrology. Back with more in a moment. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Avan Cimenti is with us, MasteringTheZodiac.com, MasteringTheZodiac.com. People can contact you through the website, and what can you do for them? Right. So there's all kinds of resources there. Uh, I recommend everyone just look at the sky, look at the chart. So we have a free chart calculator over there. Um, and then if you want to go further, there's uh, videos. I have uh, free weekly videos. There's also resources for learning astrology. Uh, and then, of course, readings, courses. And what I've recently released is the um, reports. So you can uh, order a report. It, it is computer generated, but I put a lot of work into it to get it as accurate as possible to see exactly where everything was when you're born and get that uh, in a nice PDF form. So yeah, all kinds of stuff there. Um, but I recommend everyone start with that, that chart calculator, just plug in your birth details, see where your planets are and go from there. The more accurate you are with, um, with regards to the, the precise time of your birth, that gives you a better reading. So like, if I could tell you, um, obviously the month and the day, but also what the hour, the minute, does that help? Yeah, so preferably having the exact time of birth. So luckily it is on most birth certificates. Um, so that is the most accurate if you get it to the minute, uh, not so much to the second, but really to the minute. And even with, again, true sidereal, because we're using the visible sky, there's a lot of variance because again, there's no like equal divisions. So even then, you know, 15, 20, even 30 minutes uh, deviation is fine. But uh, yeah, time of birth, location of birth, and uh, of course the birthday as well. So, um, and what about the year? I mean, I, I know it's going to take what, 70, was it? Um, it? It moves one degree every 72 years. That's right. So if you're older than 72, uh, there's going to be a one degree variant there. Is that significant? Yeah, we try to average that out. So um, right now we're using the median of about 40 years old. So even those in the 70s, you know, would be kind of the equivalent of the, the amount of change for like someone maybe in their 20s or teens or something. Um, but yeah, that's like how we're basically accurate within one degree, um, which is, again, not significant. And it shouldn't be because, again, one degree, um, even if you're born right in between constellations, you need to be considering that a blend anyways. Um I can't remember when, it seems like it has been, what, 10 or 15 years ago, people started talking about this 13th um, zodiac sign. Um, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I can pronounce it. I'm going to try. Is it Ophiuchus? That's correct. Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus. 
Um, where are we with that? Has that been disputed? Uh, is, is there, in fact, perhaps a 13th zodiac sign? Yeah, so visibly, it's there. Um, it's a totally different star cluster from Scorpio. So it shares the same part of the sky as Scorpio, uh, but you can see that it actually passes through the ecliptic. So by, by definition, a zodiac sign is a constellation that passes through the ecliptic, which is the path of the sun and the planets. And um, that is one. And uh, there's a lot of you know theories as to why maybe that was removed, because that is a very powerful constellation. It's essentially where we have the center of the Milky Way, the center of the galaxy. And that's a very energetic part of the sky. And it's all about transformation. It's about healing. It's about really in many ways the begin the, the death and rebirth of life. Um so yeah, there's there's theories as to why that was removed. I mean, it did make it does make sense why it was, because it does share the same part of the sky as Scorpio. So if you look at Scorpio, you'll see a fucus basically standing right on top of it. And it's the leg that passes through the ecliptic, but it's sharing like it's it's pretty um pretty crazy actually how it does actually take up almost exactly the same portion of the sky. Um, so in that sense, I can see why it was removed for those again clocks um, and calendars, because again, thirteen is just not. <laughs> imagine a clock or a count, you know, maybe a calendar, but imagine a clock with with thirteen hours. So obviously you want to be kind of divisible by as much as possible. And 12 is just a nice round number that's uh, easily divisible. So um, do you use a yeah. fucus in, in your charts? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, but I do still consider that the same part of the sky, which is basically the eighth part of the sky or the eighth house, uh, if you're using the houses. And so it's a very similar energy. Um, but I, I, I find that a fucus is the quote unquote higher octave of Scorpio. So each of the signs are going through an evolution. In fact, the whole zodiac wheel is an evolution. So you start from Aries and you go uh, through until Pisces. But even within each of those signs, you're evolving. And so like an early Sagittarius might be working on the more kind of fundamentals of Sagittarius, while a later Sagittarius might be involving more of the kind of higher theoretical stuff. Um, and so it's the same thing with Scorpion and Fucus. Um, you could, again theoretically remove a fucus and like, you know, it's still eighth house stuff, which is both like Scorpio as well is about transformation and healing and all that. But really what we found is like Scorpio is actually not so much about the healing side of it. It's about the deeper side. Um, but the healing really comes from the fucus side. So it was kind of lumped in there, but I think it's important, you know, they're lumped together, but I think it's important here to consider that this early part of the eighth house. Um, so the Scorpio is more of just starting to get into the deeper stuff. So here we see research, we see, we see uncovering truths, hidden secrets. Basically, Scorpio brings things to the surface, but then a fucus coming after that takes the deeper stuff and then works with it. So that's where we see a lot of doctors, psychologists, you know, healers, shamans, um, you know, really anyone who's working with those hidden or deeper elements of life. And I think that's a very important distinction to make between those two signs. I was reading where there, uh, again, this is something that was interesting and, and new to me, is that there are zodiac signs that are considered rare. Um, so Capricorn, Aries, Aquarius are considered three of the rarest birth signs. Uh, I, I, I'm guessing that has that's based on, on mainstream astrology. Um, I mean, is that just like, um, 
statistically kind of a, the, the odds are that certain, you know, fewer people are going to be born at certain times of the year than others, or is there something else at work there when we're talking about rare birth signs? So I think with those studies, yeah, I think those were the tropical uh, systems. So, so in that case, again, we're dealing with seasons. So that's under the idea that, yes, we're going to have more births during certain times of the season, right? Um, so I think that's what that's based on. Okay. Uh, but with true sidereal, again, you do have different size constellations. So like you said, like Cancer's very small. Aries is also very small. So you're just statistically going to have less there. Um, and again, there's more to the signs than just the sun sign. But I would say yes, like seasonally, obviously, there's going to be more births at certain times of the year. We've seen that. It's not really an astrological thing. It's just, you know, again, a sort of seasonal thing. But in terms of true sidereal, uh, it really comes down to the size of the constellations, which brings up an interesting point. Like, why is certain energy taking up more space in the sky than others? And it really starts to help us understand more about maybe like who's needed in society more than others, like in terms of certain crafts and skills or perspectives and things like this. Um, yeah, and it really starts to come together once you factor in their actual sizes like that. Can you give me an example of what you mean by, you know, um types of individuals that are needed at a specific time and why, again, that particular sign takes up more room and therefore it's likely that more people will be born under that sign. Can you give me maybe an example? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the largest constellation is Virgo and Virgo represents just working. It's, you know, in work or in a societal sense, it's very laborious jobs, uh, mundane jobs. It's just the workers, the carpenters, the doers. Okay. So that's like, you know, huge part of the sky. It's, it's, you know, really large constellation. And then we take the smallest, which would be cancer. And so cancer is the protector. Cancer, like family is very important to them and like they're caretakers and protectors. And um, yeah, that energy, you know, isn't, I believe, as needed as, you know, that worker um, or the farmer or whatever it is. So, uh, so yeah, we see that Aries is another one. Aries is like the warrior you know, we don't need too many warriors, I don't think. Um, but uh, yeah, this gets into some theoretical stuff. But it is interesting to see how uh, there's certain parts of the sky that take up more than others. And that perhaps that implies that, um, yeah, there is a sort of collective uh, energy involved in that maybe this collective can be broken down into certain pieces of society um, and seeing how much of society is this piece and how much of society is that piece and maybe why, you know. So I'm going to use myself as an example because there's just the two of us here. Um, I always, again, thought that I was, uh, well, based on mainstream um, astrology, I'm a Capricorn, January 12th. But uh, according to sidereal astrology, I'm Sagittarius. So um, I've been told as a Capricorn, I'm a problem solver. Um, what else have I been told? Um, faithful, loyal. Um, what are, what are the attributes of a Sagittarius? If, if I'm in fact a Sagittarius, what are those attributes? Right. So first the, we need to understand what the context is. So the context here is your sun sign. Right. So again, that's just one part of yourself. Now you may actually have other planets in Capricorn. In fact, Mercury and Venus from our vantage point on earth are always close to the sun anyways. So there's like a good chance that actually one of those two planets, if not another planet, is in Capricorn. So you're still going to always, you know, there's a high probability that you're going to have those traits. And again, like I said earlier, like we are the whole zodiac, so we're not trying to encapsulate right. anybody. 
But the sun in Sagittarius implies that it's the lens through which we view life. Okay, the sun. So this would suggest that the lens through which you view life is through opening your perspective. So being open-minded, um, seeing the higher perspective on things. It's more perceptual. It's it, it can be left brain, but you know it's very right brain in terms of theoretical and seeing possibilities and potentials. That can lead to certain qualities like open-mindedness and sharing your perspective with others and gaining energy from that, these kinds of things. But really, I would say it's the fundamental of how you view life. And so this would be viewing life not through the hard work lens of Capricorn, although, again, maybe you think that way if your Mercury's there, your Moon's there or something else. But um, what gives you energy should be expanding your mind, expanding your perspective and helping expand others' perspectives as well. Um, Do countries have sun signs? An entire nation? Yeah, so depending on, you know, what you can, you know, what time you consider the birth of that nation. So it's much easier for like the United States and we can use like the signing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, but it gets obviously more difficult for other countries. So you're basically just taking that birth. It's like the birth of that country at that time, the same way it was like a, you know, a natural birth for someone. Okay. So um, you're, uh, I know that you're not in the United States right now, but that's, I believe your country of, of birth. Um, and we, you know, we look at what's happening sort of geopolitically around the world. I mean, what do you see, um, I guess, happening in terms of the United States and it's, well, uh, July 4th would make it under the sidereal astrology would make it what sign? So July 4th, um, would be Gemini. Gemini. Okay. So this is trade. This is rational thinking, science, practical, very left brain. That's the opposite to Sagittarius, basically. But what's really interesting about the United States right now is that we're having what's called the Pluto return. So this means that Pluto is basically now back at the part of the sky that it was when the when the U.S. was born. Ah. Okay. And it's usually quite transformative when this happens. Um, just to give a, a sort of perspective, um, the last time we had Pluto in this form of the sky, obviously, if you think back to the birth of the United States, the whole world, because uh, it's it's actually going into Capricorn, by the way. This is why. So Pluto's going into Capricorn now. And so the last time this happened was the birth of the United States. But look at what was happening in the rest of the world. We basically transitioned from monarchies, primarily in the West, to more democratic or republic forms of government. And I do find that that's actually what we're in store for over about the next 10 to 20 years is a transformation. I believe there's probably going to be a lot of monarchies that are going to actually probably then have their second chance at another transition, maybe the UK, maybe Australia, maybe some of these other kind of more monarchy-based ones. But even in the US, I think it's very possible that um, we could see a significant change in the structure of how the governments are formed, uh, much similar to how we saw the transition from monarchy to these more democratic and republic forms of government. Um, could it be a, with Pluto, does that portend potential uh, upheaval in terms of violence, revolution? Well, Pluto is a very deep energy, but he's got to be somewhere. So where he's been basically for almost the past 18 years now, he's been in Sagittarius. So this is where we've seen a lot of perception shifts, a lot of beliefs, perceptions, a lot of awakenings, all kinds of transformations happening with the collective belief system, for sure. And that's like wrapping up now. 
we're seeing it's almost at like its peak, I would say, with like perception being maybe weaponized, maybe just, you know, very powerful and just very intense with like all this perceptual stuff. So Pluto's going to be somewhere, yes, he is about transformation, death, and rebirth, but where he's going into here in Capricorn, Capricorn represents in society the systems and structures. So it, it doesn't, it's not like him going into Aries or something where Aries is more like war or fighting, but obviously when you're dealing with um, of, of the bedrock of society in terms of the, the structures, the economic systems, the political systems, that is what's going through a transformation. It doesn't have to be bloody or anything like, you know, in history, obviously we've, we've become much more uh, evolved or civilized since then. So it doesn't need to take on that. Uh, that's, you know, that's similarity to like in the 1700s. But um, I still think the same transformations are certainly in the cards. Again, as a potentiality, this isn't predicting what will happen, but it's the weather that we're essentially entering into now. Right. Next year. And what about Mars? Because we always hear about um, ascending, descending Mars. Mars, the um, the Roman the Roman god of war. Where is Mars at? All right. So right now Mars is in Leo, which is about self-expression. But but we have to factor that Mars is a very quick moving planet. So when we're talking about Pluto, we're talking again like hundreds of years. Um, but with Mars, he he goes across the whole zodiac about every two and a half years. So it's quite cyclical. You're going to have Mars and Aries, for example, or whatever constellation about every two and a half years. So it's quite cyclical. That's why it is for like making these more kind of like, I don't know, global predictive things. We look at the outer planets. Those are much more, you know, revolutionary in their changes. But certainly for like month or where energy is for a year. Yeah, you can look at Mars. You can look at some of those other fast movers as well. All right. Uh, again, we can go to masteringthezodiac.com. And uh, again, just give us the tour of the website. What do we find there? Right. So birth chart calculator, type in your birth details and you'll see where everything was exactly when you were born. Uh, if you want more information, do check out the reporting system. That'll give you the, what I believe will be the more accurate and fundamental view of your placements. Uh, but if you just want to learn, there's plenty of resources there, videos, free courses. And if you want just a reading, um, obviously we offer those as well. So yeah, everything there at the website, masteringthezodiac.com. Athen, absolutely fascinating. I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Me too. It's great being on. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.